Look at uh, verse 7 of Revelation chapter 10. And it says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So tonight, I believe this is going to be the last mystery that we're going to be covering. I think we've covered pretty much all of them, except for the mystery of the seven uh, stars and the seven candlesticks. And I could be wrong on that. And you know what? Somebody, you can correct me if I am. But I think when he says, I'll show thee the mystery of the seven stars, I think it's just the fact that it was the seven churches. And I think that's pretty much all there is to it. And so if that's the case, I didn't feel like preaching a whole message on it. So, but this is going to be the last one, unless there is a lot more to that. Somebody can let me know. I'm just, I'm not seeing it. I could be missing something. But we see here, it mentions the mystery of God should be finished. Now, what is that exactly? What is the mystery of God? Something that he had declared to his servants, the prophets. Okay, what is that mystery of God? It's something obviously it's been talked about before. And really, Revelation chapter 10 is a very, uh, it is a mysterious chapter. That's where we see the seven thunders that are mentioned that nobody really, nobody knows what they are. And, you know, I'm not going to get up here and I'm going to tell you what they are because if God told John to eat the book that he had written about the seven thunders on, so we wouldn't know what they are, I don't think we're going to figure it out. Now, I think it's fine if you want to speculate a little bit as to what the seven thunders are and what they mean. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I think they are in a very general sense, but at the same time, in a specific sense, it would be foolish for me to even try. God hid it from us. And if he hid it from us, that means we're not going to know what it is. Okay. But I can tell you, uh, I guess the way I would explain what those seven thunders are is I personally believe it's kind of like a, uh, it's another layer to what we see in Revelation. Okay. So, and, and I, and everybody might not agree with me on this, but when I read the book of Revelation, I, I kind of look at it like we're looking at it at four different ways, okay? Just like in the Gospels, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell a lot of the same stories, don't they? But you get different details in each of the Gospels, don't you? It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about, they all talk about His death. They all talk about His resurrection. But you get different details in all the books. And it can got, and all four of those together, we get a, a more complete picture of what happened during the life of Christ. And I think Revelation's kind of done the same way. We have the seven seals, you have the seven trumpets, you have the seven vials, and you have the seven thunders. And people often, they will look at those, they'll talk about the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and everybody, I think where people are getting confused when they read through Revelation, is they're always trying to find out the chronological order of those events. And I think a lot of times, uh, it ends up getting complicated a little bit, because for example, um, one thing we know for sure is that we have the six seals that are the tribulation, but then what is the seventh seal? The seventh seal is the seven trumpets. And I personally don't believe that those things are necessarily these judgments. What I believe is happening, because understand a lot of what we see in the book of Revelation are visions or things that John's seeing, and God is showing John things. And so the first thing he's doing, he's breaking off these seals. And as he breaks off a seal, John, he sees something. You know, he sees those four horsemen of the apocalypse. You know, he's seeing things. And then when he breaks the seventh seal, 
he hears seven trumpets. And then those seven trumpets are all telling him a part of the story, what we see in Revelation. But at the same time, when you look at those seven trumpets, I believe they're in chronological order to a certain extent. But at the same time, we know that some of those things kind of happen together. Because, for example, when he gets to one of the trumpets, it mentions the two witnesses that prophesy for three and a half years. And I personally believe even though that trumpet comes later, that those witnesses were actually prophesying and around during some of the earlier trumpets. You see what I'm saying? They were kind of going on simultaneously. But the thing is, you know, you can only look at one thing at a time. We can only read one thing at a time. And, the, and Revelation is not giving us a chronological order of events. It's just showing us things to come. Let me show you these seven seals. And I'm going to show you these seven uh, trumpets. And then I'm going to show you the seven vials. And I'm going to show you too where I, you know, I believe that the vials and the trumpets happen simultaneously. And so uh, the seven thunders, I personally think if God would have let us see what the seven thunders were, they probably would be simultaneous with the trumpets and the vials and would give us an even clearer picture. But for some reason, God didn't show those to us. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, these seven separate judgments. I think it's just seven more uh, visions of what is to come. And it's not fair that John got to see it and we don't get to. You know, we don't get to see it. I, I wish the Lord would have let us know what they are. I wish He'd have just not mentioned them if He wasn't going to let us know they were there. But for whatever reason, He did. And so our curiosity just gets going. But let me, I want to show you some things because, and I hope I can do a good job of making this clear tonight. We're going to jump around a lot of scriptures because I want to show you what this mystery of God is. Because I, I think, while I could be wrong in some of the stuff in here, I'm just going to tell you, some of the stuff is a little deep tonight. I could be wrong on some of this stuff. And if you correct me on it, I won't get mad at you. All right? I promise. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure I'm right on these things. So the uh, first thing we need to realize about Revelation chapter 10 is chapter 10 is about the seven thunders, which we don't know what they are. And you don't know what they are either. And so if God didn't want us to know, you're not going to figure it out. And so in my, you know, so in my humble opinion, those seven thunders are just another layer to what's in Revelation. And God kept that from us. And so in the end, it doesn't matter because those of us who are saved, we're not going to be here during this time anyway. We're not going to be here during... this. All of this is in the wrath of God period. So we're not here for that. So I guess, you know, it's like, what's the benefit of knowing what the seven thunders are? You know, it would probably just be more knowledge. It would puff us up a little bit. And so that, and that could be too why God withheld it from us because he didn't want the people that were left here during that time to know what they are. You know, that could be why God did that. Seeing we have no use for it since we're not going to be here. Maybe God thought, you know, yeah, I don't want to put it in there because that would help out the crowd that I'm pouring my wrath out on and they don't need any help. So I don't know. I, that, that, that's all speculation there. But I personally believe Revelation 10.7 is a reference to what many would call Armageddon. When it says the mystery of God should be finished, I believe that, you know, that he declared to his servants the prophets. I think that is a reference to what we would call the battle of Armageddon. Okay. Well, what's it doing there in chapter 10? Well, remember, those seven thunders are another layer to the story. And I'm going to show you, I believe that the seventh trumpet 
and the seventh vial are clearly references to what we call Armageddon. And so I believe the seventh thunder is too. And when the seventh thunder is uttered, you know, it, that's also taken us to the end of you know, Daniel's 70th week. And I believe, that, I believe that it is Armageddon. I'm going to show you why I believe this. But one of the reasons I believe it, it's one of the oldest prophecies. Okay, He mentioned this is something that he declared to his servants, the prophets. And in Jude 1.14, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So what you see here, way back in Enoch's day, before the flood, he prophesied that the Lord was going to come with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. Well, when is that? When is that moment? Well, we all know when that is. That's when Jesus Christ returns on that white horse. At that, what we call, and I keep saying, notice I keep saying what we call the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? I think there's a lot of mistakes people have made in that area too. But when Jesus Christ, we believe that there's going to be the rapture where He comes and takes us out of here, but then later, He is actually going to come back on a white horse and He is going to smite the nations with the sword that comes from His mouth. And we believe He's going to set up a kingdom on this earth and rule and reign for a thousand years. And that moment, when He comes back, we call that, that is known as the Battle of Armageddon. And I think pretty much everybody would agree that Jude one fourteen and 15 is talking about Armageddon. And so it is. This is a very old prophecy. One that they knew about. One that they knew was coming. A lot of the things that we read about in Revelation, you don't see reference to in the Old Testament. But Armageddon is the main event of God's wrath. When we get to the book of Revelation we see a lot of details added of things that are going to happen during God's wrath, during the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, you mainly just see Armageddon. Once again, the main event. But at the same time, we know that after we're raptured out, Armageddon doesn't immediately happen. We know there's going to be a period of time, of a few years, where uh, you know, God's going to be pouring His wrath out on the world. And you got the people on the other side. They're gonna be like, no, you know, they, they call, you know, they call us uh, mid-tribbers because of you know where we put the rapture and all that. But at the same time, um, you know, the th- the thing is, the Old Testament it doesn't give a lot of details. It just mostly focuses on the main event, which is Armageddon. And in Revelation, we get a lot of extra details added that ultimately take us to the Battle of Armageddon. But let's look at a few things here because in uh, Jude 1.15, it mentions specifically that during that time that Jesus is going to execute judgment on the ungodly. And then look at Revelation chapter 11. Keep your finger in Revelation um, chapter 11 and uh, chapter 16. We're going to be going back and forth there a lot. Revelation 11.18 says, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and of the dead or the dead they should be judged, and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. So it mentions right here in uh, after the seventh trumpet, we see God coming and destroying the earth, executing judgment again, just like we saw in Jude 1.15. And then in Revelation 16.16, 16, <clears throat> notice it says, 
and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Okay, and so notice here, and I need to, I need to show this to you. I did a whole lesson on this a long time ago, but in Revelation sixteen sixteen, that's the only place where we see the word Armageddon in the Bible. Okay, it's the only place. What does it say in Revelation sixteen sixteen? He gathered that he gathered the armies together at Armageddon. Does it say a battle was fought there? Okay, because everyone would, would agree Armageddon or Megiddo is the valley where that takes place. Well, the Megiddo Valley. One, it's nowhere near Jerusalem. It's a huge, massive area. It's a place, it's mentioned in the Old Testament where Solomon's stables were. I, and I've, I've been there before. I've seen it. It's massive. And I remember when I was there, we were looking at it and this, this valley is just gigantic. And they were talking about the Battle of Armageddon, how it was going to take place there and the blood was going to flow to the horses' bridles. And I'm thinking, how is that even physically possible? with how big that valley is. And it was just, well, you know, the Bible says it, therefore it's gotta, it's gotta be. But the thing is, it doesn't say that the, that battle where the blood flows of the horse's bridle is fought in the Valley of Armageddon. It's actually fought in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is right outside Jerusalem. It's right in between the Eastern Gate that has that Dome of the Rock behind it, you're probably familiar with. And then there's the Mount of Olives. And that valley that runs through there is the Valley of Jehoshaphat. A much smaller valley. A valley that if the armies of the world showed up there, and Jesus Christ showed up there and slayed all the armies there, I could definitely see the blood flowing up to the horse's bridle. That actually makes a lot of sense. And it mentions too at the space of 1,600 furlongs. And I forgot how much distance that is exactly. I figured it out one time. I went on Google Earth and I measured it out. And it's that same distance. And it's just interesting too because that blood is going to flow. Those va- it connects with the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is where Israel did some of their most wicked, wicked acts. That was where they, their children would pass through the fire in those places. And it just kind of makes sense that that would be the place where the final battle is fought and where the blood will flow. Because let me tell you, the whole world's been asking for it, but especially over there and throughout history and in that place, and so, I personally believe that the Battle of Armageddon is actually the valley, Battle of the Valley of Jehoshaphat. That it happens right outside Jerusalem. And I'll show you a few more scriptures on that a little bit. Well, let's look at Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3 and verse 12. Joel chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Look at this. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. You all see that right there? That's in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And notice how it mentions the sickle. It mentions, you know, the harvest is ripe. The uh, press is full, the fats overflow. Okay? Multus, multus in the valley of decision. This is, I, I believe there's a dual reference there. I believe there's a reference to something that happened back in the Old Testament. But also, it's a reference to something that's coming in the future. At that great battle, the valley of Jehoshaphat is not the valley of Armageddon. There are two different valleys in two different places. And then, look at Revelation 16, 16. Or not 16, 16. Um, Revelation 19. Because... Revel- 
In Revelation 16, that's remember, that's the only place in the Bible where we see Armageddon mentioned. Now, we don't have time to read through everything, but after we read chapter 16, you get into 17 and 18, and it goes to the destruction of Babylon, doesn't it? Those next two chapters, it focuses on Babylon and the destruction of Babylon. And Armageddon, or so-called, it comes after that. So, okay, so now how much time has passed between chapter 16 and 19? The Bible doesn't tell us for sure. But some time has definitely passed. Babylon has had time to be destroyed. Of course, it only takes one day for Babylon to be destroyed. But in Revelation 19, that's where we see the actual battle fought. It says in verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And we'll read the rest of that in a little bit. So remember, it's not until a few chapters later where we have this battle that everyone would call the Battle of Armageddon. But that valley is not mentioned in Revelation 19. It's only mentioned in 16. It just mentions that the armies were gathered there in Armageddon. That's where they got them ready. Well, what were they doing there? I think they were gathering there to get ready to come to Jerusalem, which is where the final battle was going to be fought. And so the blood flowing to the horse's bridles, where does that come from? Well, that comes from chapter 14. Go to chapter 14 and verse 14. Look what it says. And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another, another angel came out of the temple cried with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat in the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped, and another another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Now, most people would agree with those verses we just read before. That is a picture of the rapture. Okay, This is the vision that he's seeing. Okay? When the angels gather us up, they're not doing it with the sickle. Okay, That doesn't sound good. All right? But what, would they, what were they doing in, with the sickles? All right? What's that a picture of? It's a picture of a harvest. Okay? They're going to go and they're going to gather up the fruit. They're gathering up the weed or whatever it is that they're gathering. So the first angel that comes in this vision, he is gathering up the believers. But then another angel comes in verse 17 out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him. that had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Do you all see how that passage there lines up perfectly with what we see in Joel chapter 3? And everyone would agree too that Revelation chapter 14, that is talking about Armageddon too. But notice where the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that happens in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Not the Megiddo Valley or the valley of Armageddon. It happens in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I believe what we're seeing in chapter 14 is kind of, because we've talked, we've talked this before. And I still believe this. It's still true. But when we look at Revelation, we look at chapters 1 through 11 as kind of in chronological. 
And then it starts over in chapter 12 through 22, chronological, right? So then why are we reading about Armageddon if that's at the end in chapter 14? Because there, a lot of what we see in these chapters in the second half of Revelation, they're visions. And it's just kind of showing here in chapter 14 a vision of the two main events, as you could say, of those final days. And that is the rapture and Armageddon. And they're right there. You know, you see the rapture and Armageddon almost happening at the same time. They don't happen at the same time because we're getting more details here in chapter 15, 16, where it goes and it starts talking about the vials. Okay? So do you all see how, you know, we're not supposed to just read 1 through 11 like we're reading a chronological story in order necessarily and 12 through 22. What it's doing is, remember, those seals... It's just, here's, here's certain events. You know, and then same thing with the vials, same thing with uh, the trumpets. And then in chapter 14, what we're kind of just looking at is just a single vision of these angels that are basically doing some reaping. They're reaping up the wheat, you could say, taking it to heaven. And then in the second part, they're reaping up the tares, basically taking to be burned. And we see that a lot too in the Bible uh, where you have some of the parables that Jesus told of the wheat and the tares. And He talked about that. You know, um, you know the time was going to come where they were going to gather up the wheat and they were going to gather up the tares and they were going to be burned. And so that's kind of what we see going on here. So it might get kind of confusing when you're reading Revelation if you're looking for just you know perfect chronology you know, or, you know, or everything to be in total chronological order. That's not necessarily the case. That's not what it's doing there. And so, you know, Revelation 14, though, I think it's a great example of how many of the prophecies in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, they're not detailed prophecies, but they're just kind of summaries of main events. And Revelation, we're seeing these summarized prophecies, but in greater detail. So it's like when you get to chapter 14... Well, because if you look at chapter 12, it gives a vision that you could say is almost of, you know, from the beginning of time to the end of time. You know, chapter 13, he's giving visions of these beasts, you know, the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet. And chapter 14 is kind of another vision of the two main events in the end times, the rapture and Armageddon. And so you got to make sure you kind of keep those things in mind. These things are not an exact sequence uh, of events right there. So then, uh, but what we're, what we're, what's happening too, when we get to chapters 15, 16, uh, when it gets to the vials, it's showing these things in greater detail, I guess. So it's showing one judgment at a time. So look at what it says. Um, oh, lost my spot. Uh, Revelation chapter 19. So we know this is associated... You know, all these things we've looked at are associated with Armageddon because in Revelation 19, verse 15, it says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So do you see that? It mentions the winepress again. He's treading it. Once again, lining up with Joel 3 and lining up with Revelation chapter 14. So it's very clear, Revelation 14. That event there is the same as the event in Revelation 19 
And we know for sure that Joel 3 and Revelation 14 go together, proving that that Revelation 19 battle is not fought in Megiddo Valley. It's fought in the Valley of Jehoshaphat that's right outside of Jerusalem. So, I always call it the Battle of Armageddon because if I don't, nobody's going to know what I'm talking about. But at the same time, you know, I probably should stop that just because of the fact that it's not the case and it's going to be one more area where there's this mass confusion all the time because you know people just had the wrong idea on these things. But I, I, do, I believe it's the Battle of Valley of Jehoshaphat, not Armageddon. So I'm not going to fight with people over that stuff, but just mark it down. You're going to get confused at some point when you try putting these events together. but uh, So, Revelation 16.16, 16, that's the only place where Armageddon is mentioned. And so, uh, it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to make a huge deal out of that. But look at Isaiah 63. Because here's another example of this is something that God had told to His prophets. This was a part of the mystery of God. It says in Isaiah 63, verse 1, and "...who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? We've seen that before. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was, was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. So right there, another example. And you know, we don't even have time to go to all the examples of the Battle of the Valley of Jehoshaphat. That didn't sound as good as Armageddon. Armageddon just sounds good. And everybody knows, everybody knows what you're saying, alright? But at the same time, uh, there are there's many references to that final battle in the Old Testament. And I believe when it says, you know, in, the, the, in Revelation 10, when it mentions the mystery of God should be finished as He declared unto His servants the prophets, is clearly Armageddon just because that is the main one of the main events that the Old Testament talks about. And so let's look at a few more things here. So the mystery of God, it, you know, it, it's going to get real clear here because the parallels that we're going to see in some of these passages are very clear. So the seventh trumpet and the seventh, the seventh vial, they clearly are simultaneous events. Okay? When you read chapter 11, which kind of takes us to the end, it ends with Armageddon. And the seventh trumpet ends with Armageddon. I'm going to show you to the seventh vial ends with Armageddon. And this is where a lot of people get confused. But when we when you look at a lot of people, they don't agree with the whole trumpets and vials being simultaneous. But we're not going to take time to look at all of them. But when you look at the seventh vial and the seventh trumpet and the things they have in common, it's really hard to deny that they happen at the same time. So keep your uh, fingers in Revelation 11 and chapter 16. Get your finger in both places because I want to show you some of these things. So the seventh trumpet, uh, you know, they're the same. They happen at the same time, but they do give different details. Okay, because of the fact that these are not necessarily separate judgments, but they are just—it's another look at 
end times. And so you're kind of looking at different things from different angles. So the first thing we see in Revelation 11, 19, I got to get my finger in both places so I can be ready to flip back and forth here. This, this might be interesting things to take note of. But in chapter 11, verse 19, it mentions, and the temple of God was opened in heaven. And, um, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So notice the temple of God in heaven, and this is uh, when, you know, during the seventh trumpet. In chapter 16, verse 17, it says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. So notice the temple in heaven is mentioned again. Okay, And then, and that's also part of the seventh vial. Notice the voices that are mentioned in 11.19. And it says that um, there were lightnings and voices. Chapter 16, verse 18. And there were voices. What are those voices? I got a real strong opinion on what I think those voices are. And I think it's actually pretty exciting. And I will, I will show you what those voices are when we get to the, uh, we look at some of these other things. But in verse 19, it mentions the lightnings. Uh, in verse 16, 18, it says lightnings and thunderings are in 11, 19 and 16, 18. An earthquake is mentioned in 19, 11, 19 and 16, 18. And then there's great hail mentioned in 11, 19. At the very end, it says, and great hail. And then in chapter 16, verse 21, and it says, there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So right there we see six things that they all have in common. That's quite a few things that they all have in common. In the seventh trumpet, in the seventh vial, they all mention those six, they all mention those six things. And notice too, go back to chapter 11, um, and it said, cause it says in verse 18, and it says, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. So this is clearly talking about the big battle, the big judgment here in chapter 11. And so, uh, clearly happening at the same time is what we see in Revelation chapter 16. So you can see how all this is leading up to the final battle, right? It's all leading up to the final battle. Okay, This is that big day of judgment that has been prophesied since Enoch. A day where God was going to come back and He was going to judge this world. So what were those voices that came out of the temple? All right. this, is part, this kind of excites me. I, I hope I'm right on this. could be wrong on some of this stuff. This is my opinion on those voices that come out of the temple. Well, before we look at where those voices are, we got to ask ourselves the question, why is Jesus going to come back and just do this brutal fight? I mean, you know, Hollywood, you know, they like to portray Jesus as this, you know, sweet, long-haired hippie guy that's all about peace. But that's not what we see in Revelation, is it? I mean, we see him executing vengeance and it's brutal. I mean, blood flowing like never before. Why is that? 
Well, there's a real good reason, okay? And that's the thing. A lot of people, they don't like that kind of thing. You know, they get bothered when you read that and it's like, oh, you know, that's not the way Jesus is, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? That same crowd will often say, you know, there's no such thing as God. There can't be a God because look at all the wickedness that's going on in the world. Look at all the wars. You know, look at all the suffering that goes on in this world because of man. Why doesn't God do anything about it? Well, the question is not why doesn't God do anything about it. It's just when's God going to do something about it? God's going to do something about it. He's just not going to do it in our time. Whenever we're saying, you know, why doesn't God do something about it? What we're really saying is God is not handling things the way I would handle things. You know, if it was me, you know, I'd have dealt with a lot of this stuff a long time ago. But that's me. Okay, I'm sinful. I'm, I do not, I'm not holy like God is. And so understand that he is coming back because the world has been asking for this judgment for a very, very, very long time. And I personally believe that these voices that are coming from the temple, I think it's all the prayers that people have been praying. It's like all of a sudden, just all out of that temple, all these prayers. You think about all these people that have been suffering all over the world who've been calling out to God. You think about all the people that have suffered in some of the wars. You think about the, the all those Christians that suffered during some of the inquisitions. You think about all the prayers that they made. And you know what? Did judgment come on those nations right away? No, they did not. Many of those people died. You know, they died being burned at the stake. People died being fed to lions. And what do you think those people were doing the whole time? They were crying out to God. And it probably looked to the world and it probably made them feel sometimes like God wasn't hearing their prayers, but trust me, God was hearing their prayers. And one of these days, all of a sudden, those prayers, those prayers, they've been being stored up in heaven. We see in Revelation 5, 8, <coughs> excuse me, says that when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. They've been saving those things up. You know, don't quit praying for God's vengeance to come on this world. God's saving them up. Right? And we see too, from what we read in Isaiah, it's Jesus. He's the one fighting the battle. It's His own arm that does it. Alright? I've heard preachers say, you know, I'd like it if, you know, they could, you know, get to take somebody out. And I've said the same thing myself. But, you know, I think Jesus does all this playing during that time. But do you all understand that what He is doing, I believe, is in direct answer to our prayers? So you know what? You want to take somebody out? You know, don't go, don't go, you don't do it. You'll get in all kinds of trouble here in this world. But just pray and ask, you know, just pray out, call out to God. Call out to God. You think about the people that are causing all the wickedness in this world. Call out to God. You know, go ahead. Now, some people are going to be mad at me for this. But when you think about some of these wicked politicians we have that are destroying our country, go ahead and pray for God to kill them. Oh, that's a terrible attitude. We shouldn't do that. You saying God's going to do it if we pray and ask? Well, you know what? Maybe not right now. But you know what? He's going to hear those prayers and one of these days, He's going to execute judgment. And if they're still here, I think that's going to be one of the prayers that He heard. And He's going to take care of them. So that's our way to take out the enemy. We're going to call out to God and let Him do it. You know, Lord, I'd love... You know, if I'm praying... You know, there, I, I could name several politicians I'd like to see go right now. You know, I, I, I could I could name off several that I'd, I'd love to see go. I'd love to see to fall off the face of the earth. 
And at, at the same time, you know, I can't make it happen. I shouldn't try to make it happen. But understand, you know, God hears those prayers. And if those people are around when this happens, I, I think God's going to take them out. He's going he's to hear that prayer. And look what it says in Revelation 6, 9. It says that when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said to them that they should rest yet for a little season as their fellow servants and also their brethren that they should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Notice this too. These people that act like we're so bad because we want God to execute judgment on this world. Here we have people. We have souls of men. Not their bodies. The rapture has not come yet. But these souls are under the altar. They are in heaven. They're without sin at this point. And what are they doing? They're calling out to Jesus saying, when are you going to avenge our blood? And He's like, I'm not doing that yet. We've still got more martyrs to come. You've got fellow servants that are still to come. And once they've all come, I'm going to answer your prayers. But not yet. We see even in heaven, they are calling on the Lord to execute judgment. And he's not, they're not telling them to come down to earth and tell everybody they're bad and throw them in jail. Okay? They want them, they're, they're wanting them to kill them. Oh, that's a terrible attitude. That's a heavenly attitude right there. All right? That's a holy attitude. That's a righteous attitude. That is the souls of the martyrs under the throne of God. And He's going to answer those prayers. Revelation 8.1 And when He had opened the seventh seal, okay? when He had opened the seventh seal, once again, remember the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. Okay, So I believe when we get to the seventh seal here, you know, it were one of the things that we're going to see in here, I think, is a reference to the very end. Okay? And it says, when you open the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God and out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it to the earth. For there were voices, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. That is what we see at the seventh trumpet. That is what we see at the seventh vial. The voices, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. And notice where those prayers of the saints were offered on the altar. Well, can somebody tell me where the altar is located? In the, in the temple in heaven, which is where we heard, they heard everything coming from. So we see here in this seventh seal, okay, it is showing us kind of the final event. All these, the seals take us to the final. The seventh seal shows us a glimpse of the final event with a lot more details because of the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet shows us the final event. The seventh vial shows us the final, uh, final event. And in the seven thunders, okay, it mentions that that's when the mystery of God should be finished. Once again, talking about that final battle. So you can kind of see how the seals, the trumpets, the vials, the thunders, it's all just kind of another layer of the same thing taking us to that final event, that great battle 
that Jesus Christ for, Christ fights for us. So based, so really, I uh, lost my spot here and having some contact trouble. What people, uh, you know, the thing that people have been waiting for since the beginning of time is judgment. You know, they've been calling out for judgment. For God, for they've been calling out for righteousness on the earth. These people who say they don't believe in God because of you know all the wars and all the bad things. You know what are they saying? They think this world's a terrible place. They're wanting righteous judgment. They just don't know what it is. They just don't know what it looks like, and so they don't really even understand what they're asking for. But what, even though they don't realize that what they are asking for is for Jesus Christ to come and rule and reign in this earth. Do you want to get rid of all the wars and all the things? Well, on First thing that's going to have to take place is a lot of bad people are going to have to die. But then after that, there's going to be a righteous law in this world that a lot of people are going to hate. But at the same time, it's the only way we can have paradise on this earth. And so, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True and in Righteousness. He doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which was in heaven followed upon him. That's at ten thousands of his saints. Upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before them, which, had, uh, which he deceived. And they had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all of the fowls were filled with their flesh. What's happened right there in chapter 19 is what the world's been asking for since the beginning of time. And it has been prophesied since at least the days of Enoch that a day was coming where the Lord was going to come with ten thousands of His saints and He was going to execute judgment. That is going to be the day when all these prayers that we've been praying are going to be answered. A lot, the, I, I believe, when, I, that's what I personally believe. They are going to release those things and the power of all these prayers from these martyrs, from the righteous people of God from the beginning of time. God is going to hear them and it is going to be ugly on this world. He is going to pour out His wrath. And you say, you know, it just feels like my prayers aren't getting answered. Well, listen, God can... He, he's not necessarily saving up all His wrath for them, okay? But understand, you know, I do think if you've got people that are giving you grief and, you know, people that are causing problems in your life, you know, you can go ahead and pray about it and God can take care of those people right now. And maybe not necessarily killing them, but getting them out of your life. But at the same time, when it comes to uh, you know, 
you know, the power of our prayer, understand that I believe it's fully going to be seen at that final battle. God's saving up those prayers. And they are going to pack a punch. And so don't think your prayers are in vain. Keep on sending those prayers up. God is saving them up. And you know, I wonder how much we're adding to the collection up there. Something you ought to think about. You know, how much have you contributed? I, and I, I don't know about you, I'd like to, I'd like to pack a punch. You know, I'd like to, you know, I've pictured myself on that white horse before, seeing if I could take somebody out. And I don't think God's going to let me do it then. But you know what? I can do something about it now by praying. And we should, we should be praying for righteousness. We should be praying for judgment to come in this earth because there's a lot of wickedness going on. And, and, uh, and so we ought to be looking forward to that day. And so what is this mystery of God that it's finished in these days, in the days of the seventh angel? Uh, I believe this is when Jesus comes back to earth to rule and reign. This is when we will see Him execute vengeance on the ungodly. And this is when we will finally have a righteous King. And so I personally believe that that is what the mystery of God is that's finished in the days of the seventh angel. It is Jesus Christ coming back at that final battle and judging this earth. And so... That's the end of the mysteries there. I hope those were a blessing to you. So let's go ahead right now and uh, you can go ahead and stand.